Hello guys, welcome to the pod. This is the Easter weekend recap special with me, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ehrlich. George, two rounds of fixtures since we last spoke. Plenty to get our teeth into. What a weekend it was across the EFL. Incredible weekend. It was hectic. It felt like there was kind of non-stop football. It, it kind of carries on tonight with a couple of games in League One and League Two and, and a game in the Championship with Brentford playing as well. But I have absolutely loved it, to be honest. Well, let's let's work our way through it. I think both of us are still trying to get our heads around exactly what happened. We're going to, to catch you up on the big winners and big losers of Easter weekend, focusing on those to start with who enjoy double delight, two wins or double defeat. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, but also taking, obviously, a look at the key areas of the table, filling in the gaps along the way. Another reason why we'd be a little more fatigued than usual is that we're both desperately trying to win the Skybet EFL Rewards <laughs> Ultimate Bundle before it's too late. It's one of those where, like, we talk about it on the pod, we want people to get involved, we want someone who listens to NTT20 to win the Ultimate Prize Bundle, but deep down, like, I want to win the Ultimate Prize Bundle <laughs> because... There are nine winners in total. We've already had six. This coming weekend is the last chance to play and to win the Ultimate Prize Bundle. A reminder of the prize itself, it's £1,000, a signed shirt of the club that you support, a Papa John's Bundle, an EFL match ball replica, a game code for Football Manager 21, and the streaming passes for the rest of your team's games on iFollow or whatever platform they use for the rest of the season. So it's an unbelievable bundle i have not won it i have not been one of the six winners that we've had so far but there will be three this weekend one for each division if you top the leaderboard in the league whose results you are predicting and that is just one efl league of your choice you will win all you have to do is fill in the results for one division it takes well it can take between 30 seconds and 30 minutes depending on how seriously you want to take it but you'll have a chance to win this weekend ahead of the weekend action that ultimate prize bundle on the Skybet EFL Rewards app. So please do that. Let's get into Easter weekend. You've mentioned it, George. There are a couple of games a few hours after recording which are slightly outside of our range. Shambles. They are Brentford against Birmingham, Norwich against Huddersfield, and a couple of games in League Two as well, which we'll mention in the League Two section. But there's plenty to get our teeth into, including starting at the bottom of the championship. Arguably the best weekend of all in the championship, George, where we had a few... Uh, winners of double delight but we've got to start with Wickham Wanderers because the team rooted to the bottom of the table who have been for some time actually for a period before Sheffield Wednesday went and thumped Cardiff were actually off the bottom for the first time in a long time because they beat Blackburn 1-0 they beat Rotherham 3-0 and all of a sudden after writing them off the questions start again could they could they who wrote them off well they've been you, a... I mean you may you may have written them off <laughs> Have you not? No, <laughs> never. Find me, find me a, a snippet of where I've, I've said that Wickham won't be able to to get out of this mess. I mean, it seems incredibly unlikely, and it still is, I think, pretty unlikely. Um, but this was a massive, massive result, um, and a, and a good performance. You know, I, th- I think Wickham know, and I think Gareth Ainsworth knows that when. You know, Wickham are never going to win easily. It's never going to be simple. And even in this 3-0 victory over Rotherham, um, David Stockdale was probably the man of the match for Wickham in, in terms of making a, a, a string of saves to keep them at 1-0, keep them at 2-0, and then keep them clear in the game. And without Stockdale saves, it would have been a much closer contest. Rotherham had 19 shots or, or whatever it is. But that's why 
you know, what Wickham are doing is so impressive is because they're never going to dominate a match. You know, they, they might be able to create um, better opportunities in a game, but because of the uphill task that they face f- from the whistle in every single game, even against a Rotherham side who, you know, whose whose resources, you know, are, are in no way, um, you know, they're still one of the one of the um, smallest clubs or like they have the least to play with in the championship. Even so, Wickham going to this were, were massive underdogs. Um, but managed to come away with a win. I mean, Rotherham will be incredibly disappointed with, especially the way they conceded the first goal, which basically came from a um, a, a poofed clearance. Uh, I don't. I initially thought hold on, hold on. We can make these sounds so much better, George. When I tell you that David Stockdale, as well as making seven saves in the game, also gets three pre-assists. Which pre-assists. I mean, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> three no, second assists. Goal one. Stockdale launched forward. Does it Piazu flick it? Does the defender no, flick it? Defend, it doesn't defender. matter. Musque finishes. Well. Goal two, Stockdale, Ik Piazu, McCarthy. Goal three, yeah. Stockdale, Akin Fenwa, yeah. Wheeler. Uh, basically, a David Stockdale goal kick Masterclass. is the championship's Ben Toza long throw. <laughs> <laughs> well, it helps having Ik Piazu or, or Bayo up front as well. Um, yeah, and it's just, you know, Gareth Ainsworth spoke about a change of shape helping them in recent weeks. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, when you're looking at the fact that their keeper's making a lot of a lot of saves and that the, the goals are coming from um, second balls after goal kicks, I'm not sure you can really necessarily put a change of system down as being the reason why they're, they're improving. Um, it was interesting hearing Gareth Ainsworth's interview after the game where he... He's having the best time ever. But it was just, it was such a... a it was, if I could have... If I was in his shoes, I think what he said after the game would be pretty far down the list of, of ways I would be analysing our position, being like, isn't this great? Isn't this great? Like, how many clubs would want to be in our position? To be fair, championship? George, you would never be in snakeskin shoes for, a, for in well, the first place. I'm, I'm glad you think that. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you know, and then he said, well, obviously all the teams above us wouldn't want to be in this position. Um, but I love it because they're just... You know, he's not losing sight of the fact that it's pretty unlikely. He's not losing sight of the fact that this is probably going to be a one-season roller coaster. And if, by whatever measure, they manage to somehow play their way out of the drop zone, then next season is going to be exactly the same, um, unless something pretty significant changed at the club. Um, I'm unbelievably happy for him and for their for the players and for the fans, um, even if the fans aren't able to to see any of these games at the moment, it still feels like a, an incredibly significant achievement for a, a side who, you know, it, the, the gap between League One and the Championship is so great that even teams who come up from League One with money to invest and who probably feel that their natural place in the football pyramid belongs in the Championship, they still struggle to make a fist of, of staying up. So for... Now, this is Rotherham's third attempt of, of doing so. So for Wickham to to be able to still have a, a sniff of staying up with seven games to go is 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 great. It's it's a great narrative. It's a great story. We'll see what happens um, next season, both in terms of where Wickham are going to be and um, where Gareth Ainsworth is. All I would say is, as as a fan of a of a club who will have aspirations to get out of League One next season. I really hope that a Gareth Ainsworth managed Wickham aren't in League One next season by any way, because as long as he's there, I, 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 I would have thought at the beginning of the season that I'd anticipate Wickham going down and then that being quite an alarming bump 
back into League One. But now, as long as he's there, I think they're going to continue to be a, a very, very tough nut to crack. Well, of course, he is the current favourite for the Preston North End managerial mm. post as well. So, well, you have to think that this run is, is is important for Wickham in terms of keeping hold of him. So, I don't think he's going to want to jump ship now. Absolutely. Well, JJ's left foot, which is a a Wickham Twitter account and blog, not getting carried away, does point out that it's their biggest win at the highest level they've ever played and three clean sheets in a row. Um, But he's going with 40 points looks achievable. And I think it can only bode well for a top six push in League One next season. So the next few minutes will will show why maybe they're not getting carried away because it's not just to do with what Wickham did on Easter weekend. It was a poor weekend, of course, for Rotherham, who they beat on Monday. They lost both games. And, you know, we previewed it on Totally Football League show, Extra Time, and we talked about whether, you know, the schedule was going to be too much for them. I don't think we expected it straight away for them to have lost both of those games and I'm I'm almost telling myself not to go too quickly onto oh they're just tired like they can't handle the schedule because it almost gives them too much of an excuse for what were some fairly poor performances but as you pointed out actually on a different day without an individual error or two to put them behind and and some slightly better finishing on a different day in a Millwall game where Richard Wood doesn't take down Jed Wallace and get sent off. Like Who knows what could have happened here? So there will be people looking at Rotherham losing both games and leaping to conclusions about their ability to make up the gap over their 10 games they've still got to play. But I'm saying that's still too early to say they are definitively too tired or, or going to struggle with that. I just think this is uh, just a couple of poor games, essentially. But that doesn't necessarily mean for me that's what we can expect, let's say, on the weekend. So going to be interesting. Um, but also bad news for both of those teams was that also picking up a win this weekend were Sheffield Wednesday, beat Cardiff 5-0. Uh, Coventry, who lost their first game and then beat Bristol City 3-1. And Birmingham, George, who we haven't seen their game against Brentford yet. That has not happened. Uh, but, they, <laughs> but they got a, a brilliant win against Swansea on Friday, a 1-0 win from a penalty. So all three of those teams also picking up points. Um, which wasn't great news for Rotherham or for Wigan. Just talk to me about that Sheffield Wednesday-Cardiff game. I know that one goal in particular really had you out of your seat. Yeah, (laughs) it was an amazing goal. Um, It was the Callum Patterson second um, in the 5-0 win. It was both the assist from Liam Palmer, which is, you just don't really see it. It's kind of a, he's, he's running out of room on the byline and has to kind of, swivel with his so his back's facing the corner flag and kind of hits a hits a ball a bouncing ball with the outside of his foot in the way that you'd normally only really be swazzing a crossfield ball or shooting (laughs) and it's just met beautifully by patterson it is one of the most remarkable goals it's as i always say people who listen to this pod or have done for a long time i think it's the the unique goals that are my favorite goals we've all seen you know balls slammed in from 25 yards you know i loved seeing michael elise's goal this weekend but let's be frank even if that goal was compared to a, a certain goal over and over again it's a lovely strike from range when you see both a unique and a unique cross that is so full of skill and just two unbelievably pure strikes back to back yeah Patterson Patterson had to do it justice didn't he because yeah and he he certainly did unbelievable and I also love that it's a guy who can kind of Patterson who's we're used to seeing scoring pretty ugly goals so let's be clear with that aesthetically he is not the um most pleasing goal scorer but this was just a sumptuous goal yeah. and it was and it was a great performance you know I, I, I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks that Adam Reach's form 
um, under under Darren Moore has been really strong and he's deserved a game like this. Jordan Rhodes' goal was a beautiful um, counter-attacking goal. Burner's goal coming from a set piece. It basically had everything mm. with the goals that they scored. You know, Cardiff had their chances in ways that we'd probably expect them to. Um, but this, it, it felt like Sheffield Wednesday had had a lot of bad luck um, all built into their last few fixtures. And this was that luck turning and then getting, you know, the results they deserved, whether or not they wanted that all to come to come to fruition in one game, probably not because there's only three points available. Um, but it'll, it'll certainly give the players the belief that they can get out of this. It feels like they were already a club who were moving in, in the right direction under a new manager without necessarily having anything to show for it. Um, you know, the fact that Darren Moore hasn't been in the dugout for the last couple of games is also interesting. It seems like in this COVID age, you need to try and get hold of a manager and, and then have them not on the sideline for them to make a good start. But um, yeah, hopefully Darren Moore is, is is back on the sideline soon and that he's healthy and uh, and he'll be, yeah, it'll be a happier place to be when he's back from that after this 5-0 win. They've just got to build on it now. I think from the reaction of Wednesday fans in our mentions since then, what's been quite interesting is I've been wanting to get quite carried away You've been wanting to get quite carried away because you, you kind of predicted at least a, a little boost in form based on what you'd seen under Moore. The Wednesday fans are so traumatised by the last few years of supporting Wednesday. Uh, I dare say, you know, any fan would say that a lifetime of supporting their club makes you fear the worst and expect the worst. But there's almost like there's such a once bitten, twice shy part of this where they're like not getting carried away. We're not getting carried away. We've left this too late. You know, great to score five goals and win 5-0, but why couldn't it have happened, you know, 20 games earlier? So we'll see. They've got QPR on the weekend. Uh, if they can back it up, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? And that's why for Wickham, you know, it's not just as simple as them getting a ton of points because almost all the teams around them are picking up wins as well. Coventry, well, Danny tweeted us to say, what can you say about Cobb's Easter weekend? Against QPR, we were abject, disinterested, lacking fight, really worrying performance. Then Bristol City... 90 minutes of running and battling to a man. Three goals, could have been more. Before that, honestly, couldn't see where our next win was coming from. So that kind of sums up Coventry at the moment. It makes any sort of analysis of Cov very difficult because, you know, they've won 10 games this season and I would say most of their wins have been hard fought, have been a struggle, but at their best, they have looked impressive. However, it's not happened enough. That's 10 wins out of 39 games. So, you know... What is their true level and what will we see over the next seven games? Coventry currently safe, but so much, so much still to play for for Cov. And, and, you know, again, a bit like Sheffield Wednesday, they have to back up that performance against Bournemouth, sure, this weekend, but certainly that Rotherham game on the 15th of April looks absolutely monstrous now. Uh, other winners, we had Birmingham beating Swansea. As we said, that one was on Friday. Uh, they won two penalties in that game. One of them very dubious and missed. The other, quite dubious, but probably the right decision, even if you felt a bit bad for Jan Dander, uh, scored by Scott Hogan. We're going to get on to Swansea in just a second, but the relegation battle looks like this. Wickham at the bottom of the table with 33 points from 40. Sheffield Wednesday and Rotherham both two points above them, but Sheffield Wednesday have played 39 and Rotherham 36. Then there's a six-points leap to Birmingham City, just the right side of the dotted line. They're six points clear of Rotherham. They've played 39, three games more than the Millers and Cov just one point above them on 39. So just to tie it off by going back to Wickham, George, let's say Wickham won four out of their last six, which would be an incredible return anyway. That would get them to 45 points 
when I tell you that Birmingham and Coventry, basically teams they have to get above, are currently four and three points away from that with seven games to play. You start seeing how unlikely it is, sadly. But plenty of positives. Wickham, big, big winners of the weekend. We also had a few more two-win weekends. And Bournemouth are an interesting one at the moment, aren't they? It feels like, George, it doesn't take many Bournemouth wins in succession for everyone to go, oh, well, they've got the best players. They've got an unbelievable squad. So, you know, they'll probably just win the playoffs now, won't they? I feel like you're kind of almost doing like a subtweeting on podcast style Richie Wellens which Richie Wellens analysis of Bournemouth from the question on Saturday it's, it's, it's on not Monday. it's not just him though it's not just him <laughs> no, I honestly happens. think I honestly think if you if we took a cross section of EFL of championship observers and you said who do you think will win the championship playoffs I reckon Bournemouth would get the most selections and they're not even in the playoffs at the moment yeah I think you're probably right I mean the the, the fact the fact is is that they're actually playing very well and picking up a lot of points at the moment and I would probably say that Bournemouth now is better than we've seen Bournemouth all season even at the beginning of the season under Jason Tindall when we kind of thought they were title challenges there was always that lingering doubt um, whether or not they were actually any good and that kind of played out in a run of form that saw them slip down the table and Tindall lose his job now I'm no massive fan of of Jonathan Woodgate as a tactician, but I feel like he's kind of nailing the um, the Zinedine Zidane Mark One uh, school of management, which is old, pick old mate of pick, his, of course. Pick uh, yeah, exactly. A couple of Galacticos, Galacticos, uh, you know, and it's kind of in the, a Galacticos approach to management, isn't it? Really, it is basically just pick your best team. And give them the freedom to to play with the with, with the way that they want to. You know, it wasn't a particularly good performance from them. They came up against the Blackburn side, who who even when they're poor are going to create plenty of chances. And Begovic had to make a pretty key save. But it does feel like he is just picking a side that enables the likes of um, Solanke and Dan Juma. And Billings' form since he's come in has been really key. Mm. Like, let's not forget about that. Philip Billing has been probably a bit of a disappointment at Bournemouth since he came in from Huddersfield. Um, but under Woodgate has has started thriving in, in a much more attacking kind of bursting into the box role um, as we've seen from his goal scoring um, his goal scoring exploits recently. Um, you know I, I don't want to give Woodgate credit for turning a you know for for anything genius here. It's just a case of in the same way that the kind of Chisco has done with with Watford. He's managed to to stop a, a team full of quality from looking so stale as they were previously. Um, having said that, if I was a Barnsley, a Brentford, I wouldn't really fear them. I'd kind of over two legs or over over one leg, even though they've got the the individuals to to hurt you. I, I'd bat myself to to find a way to get that marginal gain, to get that edge over their manager. Um, and we've seen on plenty of occasions this season, this group of players can easily um, be kind of rattled into into poor performances. Um, but I do think right now, yeah, I mean, it, it would take a drop-off in terms of their form, especially when you think how bad Swansea are. I mean, right now, I think Swansea are the team who are going to drop out of it, um, which would have been a, a big call a few weeks ago, less so now. Um, but they... I think the way they're operating at the moment, Swansea looked to me like a like a bottom half, kind of almost relegation threatened side if you would start the season now and they and they carried on this performance level. A lot of 
players currently bringing me joy, but perhaps none more than Arno Danjuma, I must say. Um, mm. I just... The, the the regularity with which his name flashes up on the Vili printer at the moment and the absolute belief and conviction when the goal flashes up on Gillette Soxate, where you mm. just know it's going to be a good goal, is so, so good. And I mean, this one, one of my favourites, not just because of his nutmegging of the defender before slotting home, but Ben Pearson with like an unbelievable little turkey twizzle <laughs> back heel assist, um, which was so Ben Pearson because it was it was both tenacious and skillful at the same time somehow like a little whirlwind i actually thought because of his long hair i thought it was that lad Riquelme that they've got on loan that we haven't seen much of i just assumed it was a south american bit of flair um but there was ben pearson on the end of it and uh and dan juma finishing it off so look i i said i think i said on quest on friday i'm getting my days confused now but on friday <laughs> i'm basically of the opinion whenever i see a bournemouth team sheet if I see Stanislas and Danjuma and Solanke starting, I think it's it's at the very least impossible for the opposition to keep them at bay at the moment. I just think over the course of 90 minutes, so long as the midfield do their job and, and manage to get the ball into the final third, I honestly think in terms of individual quality, those three and the way that they're playing together now are, are too good. So yeah, it's a, it's a great moment for Bournemouth fans. Interestingly, because... You're pointing at like, me through, yeah, through well, the webcam. Because, you know, it's not the first time I've heard you say that and and I couldn't agree with you more. Great. We haven't, you know, but no, I was going to say, <laughs> but, you know, we, we've been covering Bournemouth all season and in David Brooks, we probably have a player that we would have thought had been, um, yeah, if I'd drawn up a, a betting market for, for championship player of the season, Brooks would have been probably in the top, what, three or four? And he has been incredibly disappointing. So I was going to say, what do you make of, you know, where does he fit in amongst this um, plethora of, of Bournemouth attacking yeah. talents? Because he started again and was poor again. Yeah, well, Stanislas was ill, I think, on Monday. So he didn't play. I mean, Brooks, I, I didn't watch the full game, you know, that that closely. So I wouldn't be able to to speak to Brooks's individual performance too much. I mean, he hadn't played a minute through injury for eight games so to be in from the start I, I maybe wouldn't blame him for being too rusty but you're absolutely right he has not impacted games in the way that that we would have wanted him to if you think that this Bournemouth team are hitting a performance level as a team that's higher than anything we'd seen previously I'm 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 probably okay to say well let, let's wait because he'll probably make a pretty big impact over the next few weeks then if this mm. is if this is legit if this Bournemouth form is legit and will be carried out for the rest of the season and therefore into the playoffs, which they should make if they keep winning games, then I wouldn't be surprised if Brooks does have a big impact. But I just think at the moment he's got to be second fiddle when Stanislas and Dan Juma are fit because those two combining just look brilliant. Um, and I think early in the season as well, he played a few different positions and roles under Tyndall and look, nothing was really working, wasn't it? So I, I'm always kind of loath to criticize players too much. We know how quickly they can bounce back when they're suddenly in a, in a, in a team and in a role with a manager that's getting the best out of them. But no, it's, you're absolutely right to say what you say, that Brooks was one we had high hopes for and hasn't necessarily happened this season. But still time. Uh, Millwall won both games this weekend as well. As ever, as Jed Wallace told us when he was on the pod, when they <laughs> win, they win by a goal. When they lose, they lose by one goal. If not, they draw. Um, and they're on the right side of it more often than not at the moment. Five wins in their last seven. And I'm not just saying this because he's a, a, a great friend of the pod now, but he's on the rampage at the moment, Jed. Yeah. 
against Rotherham. It was his run in behind to get Wood sent off, and then he scored a brilliant like half volleyed winner against Stoke. He got the assist for Bennett's winning goal as well. Uh, you know, everything good that happens going forward for Millwall tends to involve Jed Wallace. And there are lots of players who are very, very valuable to their team, but possibly not to quite that extent. Um, and we spoke about it the other week. Millwall are into ninth now. They're probably, you feel like they're going to run out of games to actually make a, uh, a tilt at the playoffs. But a top 10 finish would be a hell of a finish. And Gary Rowett should get a lot of credit for that. So it's just a case of whether they can maintain the intensity, I guess, for the next few games uh, once it becomes clearer that the playoffs are just out of reach. Can they keep striving right to the end or will they um, find that hypothetical beach a, a few weeks early? We'll, we'll see. Forest as well, George. Two wins for them. They beat Cardiff 1-0. They beat QPR 3-1 and they only conceded in injury time of that second game, a, a consolation from Dyke. So, you know, I feel like we've said this on a few occasions now with Forrest under Hewton, but little periods like this get me quite excited for next season. Yeah, yeah just quickly, is there is there a hypothetical beach on Bamford Island? And no, that's a real beach, which I've been on for a long time <laughs> and where we're currently enjoying pina coladas and everyone else who slagged Bamford off for the whole season is not allowed in. Maybe that's where Pat will be watching the Euros from in the summer. Um, yeah, so Forests, I mean, it's, yeah, it's really exciting. Of course it is. Um, for for their fans, you know, I think we've got to appreciate where they're coming from, though, in the basis of all this. You know, a 3-1 win over QPR shouldn't necessarily be that exciting. Although QPR have, have of course, been in really good form coming into this and, and, you know, teams have struggled to do what they did here. But I still think you look at, they're one to eleven. You look at the team that they put out, and um, this is a this kind of result and this kind of performance should be fairly regular. Um, Alex Mighton's a player who I'm, con- you know, increasingly excited about as I see him get more and more minutes. I think Krivinovic is, is starting to do now what we saw him do often for West Brom next last season, and uh, can be a kind of a real creative hub and focal point for for good attacking movement. Amiobi's been a bright spark throughout the season for Nottingham Forest. Even when they were poor early on, it felt like he was somebody who they could rely on for some attacking impetus. Lewis Graben scored a goal that I didn't know Lewis Graben was capable of scoring. Um, a brilliant hit uh, into the top left-hand corner. I'm going to give uh, James Garner the credit for the free kick because I just think, I mean, I know he's he's a Man U boy, Man U, Manchester United boy, but if, if he's putting in crosses with that kind of um, striking technique, then... That's almost more impressive, I reckon, than than if he shot. Because, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it would be a yeah. I mean, I I think he might have shot, especially Q- because he, he. A QPR fan called Alex tweeted us to say James Garner is the best player we've played all season. His yeah. set pieces were unbelievable. Yeah, it, uh, quite a few people tweeting me being like, "Did you back Garner when he scored first on Good Friday?" And I was like, "No, I didn't." And then I got another one on on, uh, on Monday, being like, "Sorry to let you know, but Garner scored again." And I was like, "Yeah, I, I am. I am following this. My my job, my job would be tricky if I if I was unaware." Um, uh, and also, there's a you know, there's a level of vindication to it where I was I was right, even if I'm not richer for it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's someone who I think when he went to to Watford in the summer, it was that classic case of Manu fans being like, "Oh, you got yourself a real player there." We'd like to see him in our squad, and it just didn't happen. And um, and we often think that second loans can be can be the one where you really see a, a player flourish, and um, that seems to be the case with James Garner now. I mean, 
the, the issue that I might have is what is this Forest team going to look like on the first game of next season when will Garner be there? Will Kovinovic be there? Um, who's going to be playing up front? Because let's not pretend that grabbing, slacking the ball in from 25 yards suddenly means that he's the answer again. He's been poor all season uh, and isn't getting any younger. So it, I guess the important thing with this run of form for Forrest is that there is going to be an element of buy-in now from the fans around Houghton. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, his appointment was met with positivity. I think a few weeks ago, there started to be question marks about whether or not he was really the right man. But um, yeah, especially with, with fans hopefully back in stadiums by next August. Uh, I think it's, well, by this August, hopefully next August. Uh, I think this is, um, it would be good for Houghton to to kind of really have the support of the of the fan base um, because we've seen with Mr. Lemucci how quickly things can change. Mm. Uh, Barnsley and Reading drew with each other on Friday and then both got good wins on Easter Monday. Talking of individual players bringing me joy, I mean, Daryl DK's first goal, <laughs> that's actually my favourite of his goals so far, even more so than that Thunderbolt against Birmingham a few weeks ago because... yeah. It, it it was just everything that you want to see in a striker and the thought of him being only 20 years old just on top of that i couldn't believe it like the the maturity in his in his sort of uh link play i guess is what stands out because he he is he has incredible physical attributes like unbelievable physical attributes and and that has been clear from the moment he arrived you know it, it's it's been his Put it this way, Barnsley are playing to his strengths on that front, but it's not just that that he has. He has the burst of pace. He's got the he's got the the footballing brain to, you know, make the touches into the right places in order to get shots off, which is what we saw mm. in the first place. Ball carrying ability as well. And it just feels like it feels like he plays like someone who's had a ten year career learning to be this sort of player. But he hasn't. He's he's literally only been a professional for eighteen months, and that's what's most exciting, I think, when people project forward for for DK. Unbelievable. Uh, and as it, interesting as about for the, Elise's I, goal. Woof. Yeah. When I was going to say with, with DK, the seventeen million that was quoted on the Quest mm. highlights, it sounded as if the clause was just for Barnsley. Right. Is that? Do we know if that's right? I don't know, know if, if that's right. I I assumed that was I'd them seeing the twenty million dollar. Sick it into Google that had been that had been mentioned on the Athletic and then yeah doing the old uh, you know what's that currency in? converter yeah yeah that's, that, that's what I thought too but it was interesting because I wonder if if maybe it's part of the loan deal rather than just a a general clause which would be it's a hell of a decision for Barnsley to make is there <laughs> the is case. there a, is there any chance that they find seventeen million pounds down the back of Chen Li's sofa and then sell him for like twenty five million pounds. Like that feels like the sort of thing that doesn't really happen, but maybe could. Or if they're a Premier League team, do they just buy him for seventeen wow. million? I'm sure they would if they get promoted, but that's a long way off still. Let's you know, we can't promote everyone, sadly. But anyway, a good weekend I'd say for Barnsley and Reading. Also a good weekend for Frankie McAvoy's Preston. Four points from games against Norwich and Swansea, which after their horrendous run, um, was certainly a nice little tonic for, for North End fans. Two late goals as well, both of them after the ninetieth minute. Jimmy tweeted us about Preston's weekend. And I love the fact that Ryan Ledson and Ben Whiteman did really well in his first win. But I love the fact that Frankie McAvoy's nickname is Funtime Frankie. Yeah. And I'm glad that we now get to use that for the rest <laughs> of the season. Do you not call season. him that? 
fun fun time Frankie doing the business for North End. Um, now, we don't like to be too negative, but we have to run through uh, the bad Easter weekends as well. Um, we have to start with Swansea. My note says, what the hell? Um, and then my second note, when I gathered myself, said, is it a simple George as saying they were never that good, they were running hot, and this is just pure variance? Or do you think that's too simple and there's much more at play? And then my third note says, are they this season's Nottingham Forest, i.e. think they're challenging for the top two and then drop out of the playoffs altogether? All good questions. Well, All good I, questions. I think, I think the answer to the second question might might be yes. At this stage, I, I don't think they will finish in the playoffs. I think the, the teams in behind them, Reading and Bournemouth specifically, well, and Barnsley are, are all playing well enough that a, f- a four-point gap for um, for Bournemouth to bridge, I mean, they could do that in a couple of games, the way Swansea are going. If, if Swansea continue where they are, they're, they're on 69 points at the moment. They might finish on 71, 72 um, which would leave them well behind, I think, where where those teams will finish. <sighs> Is it a case of they're never that good? I don't think so. I don't think they were being outperformed as like <clears throat> yeah, undeniably exactly. as they have been by Birmingham and Preston in the last I, two I, games. I remember thinking in the first half of the season that they were a side who were going to, you know, who, who was pretty unsustainable what they were doing. And then there was that very, very good stats bomb piece that spoke about how Swansea's, you know, trying to explain to an extent Swansea's defensive record, saying that they were very, very good at stopping opposition sides from creating good chances. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure they've stopped being that. You know, I think if you, if you think of some of the defeats recently, um, I don't know if they've necessarily um, been a side who have suddenly been porous in terms of the chances they've conceded. Teams have just started scoring against them. Um, and that was maybe inevitable. And they've been totally and utterly toothless going forwards, which wasn't necessarily the case early on. There was certainly a, a reliance on on individual quality from Andre Ayew, from Jamal Lowe, in order to, to get them those, those goals. Um, but I think they've definitely got worse going forwards, and there's, you know, quite clearly a lack of belief there as well. I mean, I some Swansea fans that that I've seen on Twitter, whose opinions I respect, are, are, are totally um, done with Steve Cooper, and which, which seems f- fairly harsh to me because I just I still think that he, you know, he took over a mid-table side and there hasn't been a ton of investment. Um, but you know, I don't I don't watch them every week to the extent that they do, and. It does feel, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, it does feel like they and their current guys are, you know, not just not good enough to be in the top six. It feels like they're a bad team, a bad championship team. Well, some people thought a few weeks ago that Cardiff might be a team that could threaten the playoff places. I think that's kind of halted. In fact, they were a, a bit of a runaway train for those first few weeks after Mick McCarthy's appointment. And now there's some pretty significant signal failure uh, and Mick McCarthy is kind of and his Cardiff side are kind of stuck at a red signal at the moment they it, it's interesting George and I'm you know I don't want to I don't want to say this snidely as if there's something some deep meaning behind it but he was signed and he was signed he was hired as their manager to to guide them towards the end of the season right they then won seven and drew three in his first 10 games he then signed a two-year contract extension meaning that he would certainly take Cardiff forward next season and beyond and since then they've lost three had two nil all draws and got the one win which thankfully was against Swansea which I guess um you know was was good enough to to keep the wolf from the door but 
it'd be interesting to know what, what Cardiff fans are feeling right now. After those first 10 games, when McCarthy signs a two-year contract, how could any of them been going, oh, I think we've gone too early there. Like, the, the <laughs> you've got to be drunk on 30, on whatever it was, 27 points from 30 games. But now there has to be, by contrast, a feeling of, oh my God, what if we've lost all that intensity, all that belief in this uber-direct attacking play? Actually, it turns out we're not that hard to beat. Actually, it turns out we're not that good going forward. And how excited are we to head into next season if this is going to be more the norm than what we saw early on? It's just an interesting... They're, they're, they're kind of on the balance, I guess, is what I'm saying at the moment. Yeah, I mean, he was the first person during that run to, to kind of urge caution and just to be like, this is this is a bit weird. <laughs> you know, what have I done? You know, he, he's somebody who's got a, a pretty amazing track record of, of, of in terms of improving sides. And I don't think any Cardiff fan should have anticipated that the immediate turnaround that we saw was going to be a long-term one, given a, a summer to bring in the players that he wants to bring in in order to, to match his... Um, you know the way he wants to play, in a, in a similar way to Neil Warnock last season. I know I know Borough have fallen away, but I'd, I'd anticipate there'll be a, a much stronger side next year for for Mick McCarthy being there. As you mentioned, it's a two year contract. You know, it's not it's not like they it's it's not like some of the caretaker decisions we see, where you see clubs bring in a caretaker, results go well for a couple of weeks, they give them a two year deal with no track record of being a decent manager, and then suddenly it dips, and you're like, oh god, what have we done? You know, this is Mick McCarthy. I think they'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Luton lost both games as well. Um, you know, another team kind of halted by Easter weekend after a good few weeks. Um, I think this is one not to get carried away with in terms of criticism. I know Nathan Jones himself has been fairly critical of his players, essentially feeling that having hit 50 points through 37 games, which is beyond their wildest dreams, uh, that they might have slightly taken their foot off the gas. There's still seven games to play. To play, so it's not. I don't think you can just. I don't think as a player you can really justify that, and I don't think Jones will allow that. So uh, I was speaking to Ollie Walker earlier, obviously great friend of the pod and a, a Luton fan, who, you know, was just saying it's interesting because I think there was potentially going to be some, you know, some time for experiment, uh, for for uh, experimentation for Jones over the last seven or eight games where he can try out some funky systems and some different players in some different roles mm. and and now actually off the back of this weekend it's possible that he'll just go back to basics and and do what's worked very well over the last year which is pick up points at this level and uh, to a sort of mid-table extent so you know Barnsley was certainly better than them DK um you know very very tough to stop him I think and also worth pointing out that they're back four in the last few weeks I mean starting against Barnsley it was Jordan Clark who's been brilliant for them but not known as a right back, Matty Pearson, Cal Naismith playing centre back, and Martin Craney playing left back. So, um, you know, would any of those four be their first choice back four in a normal period? Probably not. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're an interesting, well, they're just an interesting team to watch out for, both towards the end of the season, uh, see how they go, but also mostly in terms of the summer and their summer recruitment. And then two teams who are genuinely quite concerned, one of them, Bristol City, where Nigel Pearson, I'm really enjoying his caretaker role at the moment because results are really poor performances are really poor and he's just absolutely hammering the players so much and the fans are kind of enjoying it like I was I was expecting a lot of the the fan reaction to be well this guy obviously doesn't know what he's doing and it's basically not that at all is the fan reaction seems to be hello Stephen Lansdowne please could you give this bloke the keys to the club and see what he can do this summer 
Um, so that's kind of interesting. I mean, their performances over the weekend were pretty horrendous in losing to Stoke and Coventry. But I know Blackburn are, are probably the most interesting one of the lot, George, because, I mean, you basically tweeted yesterday being like, I've, I've just realised it's not out of the question that they could get relegated. And then when I was sort of thinking, oh, he's probably had a, a, one glass of wine too many, he's, he's, <laughs> he's gone a bit over the top. I looked at a league table over the last 25 games. They've only got 22 points, less than a point per game for 25 games. That's not a blip. That's the, that's, no. that's Blackburn. Yeah. I mean, they, they look like one of the poorest teams in the division at the moment. Um, they're, I think they're a side who, unlike some of the hopeless sides, you know, unlike Swansea at the moment, for example, with Blackburn, you, you know, you're going to get some quality in games, you know, and, and Bournemouth was the same. They're going to have get moments of games where they are controlling the ball and moving it very well. You're going to see <clears throat> Elliot or Rothwell or Armstrong do something which showcases their technical talent. Um, but in terms of just being an effective football team, it, it's it's all just kind of fallen away. They, they don't look capable of of, of creating um, good goal scoring opportunities regularly. It feels like another side who need who rely on on good moments from certain players in order to provide that consistent threat. The threat isn't consistent, basically. Um, the, you know, the Adam Armstrong from earlier in the season who was scoring both good and bad goals, he's now just scoring no goals um, and missed a penalty, which, you know, you can't say much more on that. Uh, and they're not very solid. You know, they, they should be a, a team, given the way they play, you know, they talk about wanting to emulate Liverpool in terms of both style of play and, and, and recruitment methods. But, the best teams playing that style control games. You know, their they're means of, of stopping teams from creating opportunities against them is that they control the game, they control the ball. Blackburn do not do that. You know, they well, they're and, not and those teams to... tend to have almost automated movements by this stage of the season, certainly, where they yeah. each player knows exactly where to be and how to press and when not to press at a certain time. Blackburn have gone the other way this whole season. They seem mm. to have got less and less and well, less think... cohesive. I think a massive part of that is probably their players and, and maybe management as well struggling to buy into the process when things aren't going well. You know, your I think your um, initial response when things are starting to to drop off is what can we change in order to make this better? When if the process is right, then the key is to to maintain it and, and keep faith in it. Um, you know, I, I've said it. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm a, I'm a massive Tony Mowbray fan. I think he would do a very, very good job at a lot of clubs that are surrounding Blackburn at the moment for in, in a kind of horses for courses kind of way. I, I don't think he is the man to lead a group of players. You know, if, if Blackburn are going to continue recruiting the way they are and trying to play a, a pretty expansive style, I, I don't think he's someone who is right for that because he's got a very, very good management career behind him of not doing that. You know, if, if you're going to, if you're going to buy into that process, Blackburn should be going in and speaking to Russell Martin to do that. You know, not necessarily because he's somebody who's got results on a football pitch in management because he hasn't really. And it's been 18 months of doing so, so far, but he's got a track record of, of playing that style of football, of getting players to buy into doing that and creating opportunities doing that. That is his process and his vision matches that of Blackburn's. As much as Tony Mowbray might say in the press that it does, even if it does, even if he has bought into it, that's only been the case in the last year or so. So um, I think Blackburn either have to do it their own way or do it the Mowbray way. But at the moment, it, it feels like a clash. Mowbray or the highway? Correct. 
Um, now, I mean, his his post match press interviews at the moment are pretty a pretty tough watch, I have to say. Um, we should note that that Brentford are playing Birmingham and Norwich are playing Huddersfield tonight, so we, they're they're just in such a blind spot for us that we can't really pass judgment of, over those. You have to say it's been a pretty good weekend for Norwich, regardless of what they do against Huddersfield, because Watford won one and drew one. A, a good weekend as well for Watford. You have to say they they. Both of these teams are now essentially looking like an absolute lock for promotion automatic, unless Brentford can do something very, very spectacular indeed. Uh, obviously, Swansea lost both games. Um, so from from those two teams' point of view, even even putting aside whatever happens on the pitch, they've, uh, they've had a pretty good weekend. Now, before we move on to League One, just a reminder, cannot stress enough how good this Skybet EFO Rewards Ultimate Bundle is. Uh, and how simple it is to be in with a chance of winning it. You just have to play the Skybet EFL Reward app predictor this weekend, predicting uh, 12 results from the Championship or League One or League Two. Whoever is top of each predictor leaderboard for each EFL division will win £1,000, a signed shirt, FM21, a Papa John's bundle, an EFL replica match ball, and streaming access to your team's matches Um for the rest of the season so definitely worth getting involved it's free to download and free to play um, just predict a few scores and if you get lucky or if you're just really good you could win a pretty special bundle so get involved with the skybet efl rewards app this week uh, in league one well two wins this weekend you don't have to go very far down the league table to find it george because it's hull city league one being mauled by the tigers oh. at the moment um, you know, it was a it was a fantastic weekend. They would have known with Peterborough playing against Sunderland on Monday that one of those teams would certainly drop some points, even after they all three of them won on Friday. And of course, that was a draw, so one point apiece. Probably a good outcome for Hull, you'd say, especially as they had one of the easiest, most comfortable wins I've ever seen against Northampton. Uh, had this on a screen in at Quest where I was working on Monday, and every time I looked up, Hull had. An opening, not always a shot, but every time I looked up, they were in the final third, swinging in a cross or on the break. Or I mean, I couldn't believe it was only three 0 To be honest, it, it could. It, it, I would go as far as to say Hull were not particularly good in the final third. They were not particularly precise. I've seen them play a lot better, uh, and yet you know it was like men against boys out there. So a great weekend for Hull. And my question to you is: Are they somehow still a little bit under the radar here? Seems insane. To even say that they're at the top of the league and they've been there the whole season, but there's a part of me that feels like people, maybe even us at times, still aren't taking them like that seriously or talking them up as much as we have done previous league leaders. Despite the fact, you know, there's there's this feeling they've been quite vulnerable, but they've won seven and drawn two in their last nine games. They're, they've been anything but. I think it is because this is a poor League One. Right. So I would say that you and I and other people probably haven't been as enamoured with Hull or Peterborough or Sunderland than other table toppers and promoted teams in previous seasons. Because I think if you were to put those three sides in a mini league of the other three teams at the top of the table over the last couple of seasons, maybe not last season, because I'm, I'm not convinced that Coventry or, or Rotherham were, that, were up to much, well... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put those two teams above Hull. I know you're thinking of Luton and Barnsley. Let's be honest. I'm thinking of Luton and Barnsley. <laughs> I'm thinking of Wigan and uh, Wigan and Blackburn. Um, you know, I'm thinking of of teams towards the top who are normally just much better. And, and Hull do seem to exert that kind of 
um, superiority over sides. They have lost 10 of their 40 games. Um, so it's not like they are miles clear of, every, of everybody else. But I don't think I'm sleeping on them. I'm, I'm expecting them to get promoted. Um, Peterborough and Sunderland have games in hand on them. I I, I think they're a better team than, than Sunderland. I think Sunderland are, are, have the better players, maybe. I think they're... The, the amount of times, especially recently, that the moments of quality from McGeady or or Jones seem to to be the um, the turning point on on pretty fine games. It was again the case uh, on on Monday with Peterborough. Peterborough were the better side, no matter what Lee Johnson says after the game uh, in that one, and um, and then a moment of magic from McGeady with a free kick uh, as. As, off, as it often does. And that's not to take anything away from Sunderland. When you've got the best player in League One, when you've got the most technically gifted player in League One, that is going to be a massive thing going forward. But I just think on the balance of playing games, Hull um, seem to be the one who just have a, a balance in terms of their play and have threats from so many different areas and are able to rotate their side and maintain a level of performance that's impressive. And, uh, you know, you mentioned there the... The ease of their win over Northampton, you know, I thought it was interesting that that McCann came out after the game and was like, "Yeah, I, I knew Northampton were going to come out swinging or come out fighting." And I was like, "Hey, did they? <laughs> if they if they did, they needed pretty well at, at, at covering it up." Um, yeah, I, th- I think Hull are, are probably the best team in the division, the best side, the best cohesive unit. Let's say. Yeah, I mean, certainly not up by any means, but a very good weekend for them. And you have to say a pretty good weekend for Peterborough and Sunderland as well. Um, I don't think either side would be devastated, put it that way, even Posh having been ahead. Um, that felt more like a must not lose than a must win. And God, it's so in the balance, isn't it? Mm. Um, both of them 1.87 points per game. Hull 1.9. There's games in hand at play. Posh have got one. Sunderland have got two. Um, there's a seven point gap now between Sunderland in third and Pompey in fourth. So, it, I mean, it is three into two, you'd say. And it's just so exciting because I honestly think all three sides are, are very, very good for the level as it is now. Maybe, as you've said, it's not the strongest League One or the strongest title race we've seen. Uh, I do think in general that the standard of League One is, is pretty high, um, which I think is why we have this group chopped off at the bottom. Um, but, do you think so? Yeah, I think so. I like. I think the... I think it's so hard to work out league strength, isn't it? Because you can either look at how good are the very top teams. I guess my point here is I think your teams from like 7th to 16th are quite are like quite good. Or at least not... I, I think they've all... I think almost all of those teams are... Quite, I think for an average team for the league, that average is quite quite high. But I honestly don't know how you measure it. Like, how on earth can no. you... How, how can you really work it out? I, um, I just think that there's... I think... It... But then I do think there are six. To me is the fact that Ipswich, are, well, I mean Ipswich being an eighth just is jarring to yeah, me when you think about it. Being getting a... very, you've been getting very upset about Ipswich recently, and I understand it. But like, don't let one team ruin your whole theory on a league. No, but even but even Charlton, I would say, are, are like a, I don't know, and, and even Oxford to an extent, I'd say, except for a, a, like a run in the middle. Mm. Basically, if, if you're looking at Charlton, Ipswich, Gillingham, Doncaster, Accrington, Oxford, they basically all had periods where they have looked desperate but that happens mate of course it does and partly you know what maybe it happens sometimes because you're in a strong league and you don't get any leeway when you have tough runs of fixtures i don't know i don't know how on earth do you judge a league strength i mean i don't know um um, pompey 
continue to roll. I don't think anyone would, would try and pretend like their two wins this weekend were maybe uh, performance-wise as impressive as their wins against Ipswich and Shrewsbury. But when you're in the first throes of romance, George, stuff like that, frivolous things like that don't tend to matter. Uh, the fact is Danny Cowley brought on his cannon, Andy, at half-time of the Wigan game after Pompey had looked pretty poor in the first half, albeit Wigan hadn't threatened them too much. And within a minute, Cannon had, had picked up the ball on the halfway line, carried it 15 yards and then thrashed it into the top corner from 30 yards. So um, things couldn't be going much better. We really enjoyed the six-minute mic'd-up training video of Danny and Nicky Cowley from <laughs> uh, from last week. I got a lot of memes out of it, which is obviously my barometer for, for online content. So thank you for that. Um, but, I mean, I, I said pre-weekend, didn't I, that... You know they'll feel like if they can just keep winning, keep winning, keep winning, they could get towards those top teams. My feeling is the top teams won't drop enough points for for Pompey to to be able to get close to them. But the crucial thing now is to to get themselves in a good position in the playoffs. The interesting thing is there's going to be maybe one or two teams that you wouldn't mind playing, but there's certainly going to be teams to avoid. One of which might well be Blackpool, George, who also won both games this weekend, and who honestly feel like they are performing at maybe the highest level in league 1 at the moment if you just look you know if you look at the last 2 months both performances and results wise it's hard to look past blackpool as being as good as hull posh sunderland pompey which is exciting yeah really exciting <laughs> um but it's, it's hard to summarize them and not kind of acknowledge our own failings, I think, because suddenly you've got a, a rookie manager in Neil Critchley, who we've barely spoken about, who is doing one of the best rookie jobs we've seen in the EFL for a long time. Um, you've got a, a side just littered with quality. I mean, we did say pre-season. It was, I think, because Blackpool have been a, a team and a club for so long who we've associated with difficult owners, with off-pitch off issues, I think everyone was kind of sleeping on the fact that actually they... This owner's were, like the dream, the dream yeah, owner. Exactly. And, and they were investing to, um, you know, they were investing to challenge this season. And then I think we were asleep to the fact that they were kind of doing that on a points per game basis for most of the season. I don't think we could have anticipated this run of form would, would come next, but they are a side who... You know, I've been talking a lot about golf recently because of the Masters, but they are a side who have just trended all season. Basically, since since the word goes, since the first game of the season, they their progression has just been an upward curve. Um, and who knows how far that'll take them? I mean, it's it's a bit of a shame for them that they are barring a. a well, I mean, could they could they break into that race? feasibly i mean it would take it would take a big drop off from two of those three teams you would think you know they've got three games in hand on hull um but even if they won all of those they'd still be four points behind them um so it'd take a big drop off but the way they're going at the moment all they can do is just keep picking up points keep winning keep giving the ball to jerry yates and silly kai kai and, and see where it takes them they are the side you know i was i was um Speaking while I was having a Twitter conversation with with Connor Bromley, who um, does a lot of content for Sunderland, and I kind of he was talking about Oxford fans after the uh, the loss on Friday after their win on Friday against us, and I cheekily just said, "Yeah, should make next season's games against you guys uh, quite tasty." 
And he was like, oh, I don't think we're going up then. And I was like, well, you might do. Of course you might do. Two of those three teams are probably going to go up. But whoever doesn't get in out of those three teams, I would not want to be in the playoffs because I mean, I think whoever finishes sixth, unless someone goes on a mad run, um, is probably going to be a fair bit weaker than, than whoever else is in there. But you've got Blackpool under Critchley have been arguably the best side in the division since the end of October. You've got Pompey under Cowley, who on paper probably have the best team in the division and are, again, trending very much upwards under Cowley. So whoever misses out is going to have to deal with, A, the disappointment of of um, of not going up, but then maybe having possibly two stronger teams than those going up in their current guys to, to face in the playoffs, uh, obviously depending on which order they finish. So... It, the stakes are pretty high, I reckon, for, for getting into those top two spots. I'm going to predict now that whichever of Hull, Peterborough and Sunderland don't go up automatically, I don't think we'll go up in the playoffs. Throughout that whole answer, I was just daydreaming about us watching Portsmouth versus Blackpool playoff semi-final, two legs in a nice sunny pub garden somewhere. And now I'm now I'm just quite excited for the, for the Pubs open in six days. There we go. Uh, Rob? Tangerines fan, two complete team performances, and that absolutely tallies with what I saw. Um, when you're in working on Quest, you have all the games on, and uh, you know it's tough to focus on one, of course. But from what I saw over both games for Blackpool, what Rob says is is, is not biased; is completely right. Good, solid at the back, controlling midfield, and different goal threats as well. Yates obviously can't stop scoring, but they scored two magnificent passing goals as well. Um, yeah, I mean a real soft spot for for Blackpool the way they're playing at the moment. Now teams that lost both games George well there's a few down at the bottom uh, double defeat for Swindon for Wimbledon uh, and for Wigan as well also two teams who probably saw faint p- playoff hopes take a huge dent this weekend one of them is Doncaster Rovers who are dropping like a stone who maybe to, to compare some uh, to compare them with Swansea what you said earlier about actually their current performance level being about as bad as as it gets at the level for the moment but the other club is Oxford uh, your Oxford who lost to Sunderland in a spicy affair and uh, and then Accrington on Monday what felt like a pretty poor performance do you think do you think that spells the end of any playoff hopes for yellows and for Donny yeah I, I think for Oxford definitely I think for, for Doncaster it's impossible to see why they would uh, unless the, the owners take a view of appointing a new manager in the next week or so can't see why their form would turn around given that their form was pretty poor when Darren Moore left and it's only got worse under Andy Butler um, but just mathematically you can't rule them out because they've they've got games in hand um, and they are still only five points off sixth if I was Doncaster's owner I would be picking up the phone and calling someone like Richie Wellens, I think, to um, to, to try and, and bring some new ideas and a bit of impetus into the club. Um, because they, as you say, they've been desperate now for a while. Um, for Oxford, it was a good performance against Sunderland to go 1-0 up. Um, pretty disappointing to concede in the way that they did for just before half-time for, for the equaliser. I'm not going to get into the refereeing stuff. I'm not going to get into the tunnel stuff. It's all pretty boring. Um, but feels it like, was a... feels like they uh, expended quite a lot of energy on non-footballing matters over the weekend and, and maybe suffered for it on Monday. Emotionally drained. Well, maybe. I mean, I, it, I, I don't know if that's the case. Um, I was on Radio Oxford after the game on Monday against Accrington. And again, it's kind of the narrative when you're doing like, local radio stuff um, and the, the coverage is so based on one team 
it's almost like people forget that there's a second team on the pitch and Accrington were just brilliant. You know, it doesn't matter that they were in terrible form. It doesn't matter that their defence has been poor. You can only judge their performance for what it was. And, you know, with Dion Charles back on the side after international duty, um, which made a big difference. They just, you know, all the talk was like, why did Oxford start so slowly? Accrington just came out the blocks absolutely flying and got their game plan completely right. They didn't drop off. They didn't let Oxford get any control in midfield at all, which when you consider Oxford's midfield was uh, James Henry, Cameron Brannigan and, and Elliot Lee, you know, basically two forwards or wide players and, and Cameron Brannigan. If you're having to play on the counter and you're having to bypass your midfield, you're, you're basically playing with one in midfield and that's Cameron Brannigan who's box to box anyway. So, it, you know, any team who, if Accrington had sat off and sat deep and enabled Oxford to, to control the game in their half, I have no doubt that Oxford would have had no issue at all in in, bl- in bl- blitzing them and and, bl- and blowing them away. That wasn't what they did. They made them have having to go along to Taylor, who played, who was it was easily Oxford's best player in my opinion on the day in terms of what he did, and holding up the ball, creating the first goal. Um, but Accrington were just by far and away the better side. And yeah, again, like Lee Johnson talking about the posh game after the game, Carl Robinson said out and, and came out and said that he had no doubt that Oxford were the better team on the day. I didn't see that at all. I thought Accrington were good value for their win. And the fact of the matter is for Oxford, um, they're not good enough to go up. They're, they're not a top six side. Uh, if you take out a, a run of wins against poor opposition in, in the league, um, they would be quite near the relegation zone. Um, and that would be what they're facing up to. So it's it's a good team of, of you know, it's a good, good set of players and Kyle Robinson is going to have pretty lofty expectations next season, which I'm sure he would put on himself too. Uh, but uh, yeah, time to draw the line through this season. For Accrington, though, if they carry on playing like that, if, if John Coleman's found a way to to arrest that slump, um, then they could definitely be a team to pick up the pieces if Lincoln, if Ipswich, if Donny continue to, to falter. Definitely at least one playoff spot up for grabs, but sixth spot looks very, very open. I mean, Lincoln didn't play this weekend because of COVID postponements. They obviously haven't won in five, just two points in their last five games. Charlton uh, only played one game. They beat Donny on Friday, 1-0. Ipswich, poor, you'd say, over the weekend. They beat Bristol Rovers thanks to an early blitz, but desperate against Rochdale in a game that didn't have a single shot on target. Uh, Jill's 1-1 and lost one, beating Wigan uh, and getting thumped by Blackpool. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's all kind of still up in the air, I'd say. Um, and just a, a quick nod to Crew, who who did lose to Hull on Friday, so it wasn't a double win weekend, but excellent in defeating MK Dons on Monday. Just a really, really good performance uh, there. The, the perfect game plan, you'd say, to, to beat this MK Don side, who themselves had been in great form. Uh, and then double defeat at the bottom. I, I'm loath to go too deep here. I mean, Swindon lost their two games narrowly to, to Burton, less narrowly to Blackpool. Um, Wigan lost 1-0 to Gillingham, 1-0 to Portsmouth. Again, sort of playing quite well, but just not well enough, sadly, to pick up points. And Wimbledon the same. G Willow tweeted us to say, we had two games against mid-table opponents. Points were achievable. Um, a new passing style is making a difference, but zero quality in the final third. We've won the possession and XG in the last three games, but we've only scored one goal and that was a blocked clearance. So it's so, so difficult to, to work out which of the two of the bottom six is going to stay up. And that's why you'd say it was a good weekend for, for Cobblers, who beat Shrews on Friday before losing to Hull, uh, and Bristol Rovers, who lost to Ipswich before beating Doncaster. I think, you know, it's a fool's game trying to predict 
not even who's going to stay up there, but even where the points are going to come from any given weekend. This weekend, we've got Northampton playing Bristol Rovers, and that is going to be one to watch. Now, we've got to try and work our way through League Two. We obviously went deep, deep, deep on League Two with Paul Riley last week. And, I mean, it was a bit of a mess this weekend. The other two leagues kind of worked quite well for me, putting together a running order, George, in terms <laughs> of teams who'd won two and teams who'd lost two. League Two, not following any rules. Uh, on Monday... 2-2. Two, two. On Monday, only Newport in the top 10 at the start of the day actually won. Now, Morecambe are playing just after we finish recording and a win for them would put them in the automatic places. So that's one to watch on Tuesday evening. But there's only one team that won two games over Easter weekend and that's Port Vale. Carlisle could join them if they win also on Tuesday night against Scunthorpe. But it's all about Daryl Clark's Vale. And yet I'm kind of loath to go too hard here because I watched this game against Harrogate had a quarter of an eye on it in on quest on Monday. They got absolutely battered by Harrogate in the first <laughs> half. Like, absolutely battered. They had their goalkeeper uh, massively to thank Scott Brown for, for being even close to uh, uh, that game. And then brilliant first uh, second half goal from Worrell got them ahead. And it's five wins in a row. And the thing I'm finding funny it's about five this... five in a row now? Is yeah. it five? That's so they, amazing. So Daryl Clark didn't pick up a win in his first seven and now has won five in a row and the thing that I'm finding funny which I dare say Walsall fans don't find funny at all is like there's always been this thing about Daryl that his teams get stronger as the season goes on and Walsall were forever being promised and waiting for their team to finish strongly and obviously last season the season was curtailed so they couldn't really you know you can't really make a decision on whether that's happened or not and this season he bails for Port Vale, who are below them when he does so, saying that it's a better opportunity. And now Vale are above them, having won five in a row. And Daryl Clark can point to his teams always finishing the season strongly. <laughs> but it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? I mean, Vale's season could be a whole podcast in itself. It's been an absolute roller coaster. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who would listen to that podcast except for Port Vale fans. Maybe we should try it out. Um, it's been, yeah, it's it's been interesting. And you know, Daryl Clark is a manager who, who's record at Walsall really surprised me. I, I thought he would be someone who who would oversee a period of um, progression at the club. That definitely hasn't been the case. Um, he'll go, he goes down as another in a long line of, of poor appointments from Walsall. And it's no surprise to see that they are advertising for a director of football role now, which I assume they're going to fill and then fill the manager the, the manager's role afterwards, which is the right way around. And enough for a club who, who, who you know, since Dean Smith have have approached management appointments in in a few different ways, from caretakers to kind of ex players to a guy in Daryl Clark who's got promotion from this league before with a, a very very good reputation. I can understand why they're they're fairly nonplussed, and maybe there are issues there that run a bit deeper and. That is exactly the model that, that Port Vale have adopted with, with David Flickcroft coming in as director of football, appointing his manager in Daryl Clark. As you mentioned, you know they, they rode their luck at, at times um, in that game. I think um, Simon Weaver was uh, it was interesting after the game because obviously all eyes were on were on the referee here. You know the first ever female referee in the EFL. Fantastic news and and hopefully something that becomes the norm rather than something we talk about a lot. Um, there were two contentious penalty decisions, I would say, in the first half. And I thought one of them, the second one, looked to me like a penalty for Harrogate. Simon Weaver was not going to come out and criticise that that decision. Um, but as you mentioned, Brown making a lot of saves. Unlucky not to get a penalty. This easily could have gone the other way. 
But in terms of building something for next season, similar to what I was saying with Hewton, Daryl Clark getting this run of wins under his belt is is important for them to just get a little bit of buy-in as for what they're trying to do. And also, crucially, I would say, in terms of recruitment, because I expect them to be pretty active now with a new director of football um, and a new manager in the summer. If you can point to a run of five wins or however many points they're going to get between there and the end of the season, that is a massive bargaining chip when you're trying to tell persuade a new player that even though you finish in the bottom half of League Two, next season you're going to be pushing for, for promotion. Um, I don't think you can really overestimate how important that will be in order to try and attract players to come to them who'll have other offers in League Two. Uh, so, yeah, big wins for, for Vale. And um, and for Harrogate, I feel like they're just... This is the second period of the season where they just feel a bit luckless. I don't mm. think the performances are necessarily particularly poor. Now, neither Cambridge nor Cheltenham are top two got the maximum points and I dare say Cheltenham would have looked at a point against Grimsby and felt like it was two points dropped and yet you'd say both of them had an excellent weekend partly because of what happened elsewhere so Cambridge get four points from their games against Morecambe and Tranmere two other top seven teams Um, Cheltenham get their four points thrashing Tranmere as well uh, on Friday and I feel like both of them have basically one foot in League One now which is exciting for their fans although I'm sure they wouldn't say it out loud with the confidence that I just did um, <laughs> but you know Bolton picked up one point over the weekend Tranmere one point Forest Green none the only team in League Two to lose both games that's now three defeats in a row for Forest Green and Newport lost one and won one so really it's it's uh, yeah I'm feeling pretty bullish now about Cambridge and Cheltenham um, you know I'm sure a lot of Tranmere fans would point to what looked like an obscene penalty decision for Cambridge to win, only for the goalkeeper to then save it and concede the rebound. Uh, the luck wasn't in, if you can call it that. It certainly was for Cambridge. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to crowning them and, and Cheltenham over the next few weeks because I do believe that uh, they're trotting to League One right now. But Bolton, speaking of which, God, I didn't even mean that segue. That was pretty good. Um, was. Lee who is a Bolton fan, told us about this weekend. One point and no goals, despite a plethora of chances. Kieran Lee should have had a hat-trick by half-time at Rodney Parade. Others continue to drop points, though, and I'm enthused by our performance. Got five of the top ten to play, so there'll be more games like yesterday to come. Need more goals from the three behind Kevin Doyle. Kevin Doyle! Kevin (laughs) Doyle! What is this, 2007? (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, Behind Owen Doyle. But, I mean... What's most interesting here? Is it Forest Green? Is it the fact they've lost three in a row? I mean, that's pretty pretty concerning, isn't it? And and we said big. last week with Paul that, you know, of all teams to to miss their striker, Forest Green missing Jamil Matt might be right at the top of the tree. Wow. Kind of being being played out in front of our eyes, isn't it? They were they were pretty poor mm. both games. I just want to shout out a uh, friend of the pod, listener, and I think Cheltenham Town fan, Kevin Madsen. Uh, who's from Norway, and that's because Kevin has sent us some goodies. Kevin sent us two shirts from Norwegian 4th Division side SK Treff, one of which I'm going to give to you. You can choose either green or white. Uh, But he also sent us some Norwegian sweets and treats, uh, which I'm going to be bringing to the golf course when we play golf together this week. And I was just so excited because I've been looking for a Norwegian fourth tier side to follow for a while now. I've now got one. Um, And that's all thanks to Kevin, who (laughs) found out about us because he was listening to the Transfer Talk pod that you did for Sky Sports 
uh, just over two years ago. And you were obviously so good, George, that he was uh, inclined to check out Not The Top 20 Pod. Now, we haven't done any Instagram content for a long time because, frankly, my brain has been fried by content. Um, But one of the things that Kevin has sent us are these sweets called Smash. And I'm not kidding, George. This is what Kevin said in his letter. He said, Smash, the discussion goes here. Is it crisps or is it chocolate? You decide. And I think that that calls for some uh, Instagram story content. What have you decided? Well, I haven't tried them yet, but I'm going to do so on our Insta page. Um, You can watch that story as soon as this is uploaded. It'll be up there. So at NTT20pod on Instagram, drop us a follow. We'll do a bit of content on the golf course as well this week as we try and build that page. So help us out there. Uh, Down at the bottom of League Two, as I said, George, is just not really playing ball League Two for this episode because there are just so many draws down there. Grimsby drew both games again. It's an absurd run that they're on of draws. In fact, if you look at the bottom nine in League Two, from Scunthorpe down to Grimsby, and you take their last six games each, that group of nine teams have drawn 29 out of 42. So over two-thirds of their games draws at the moment. I've no idea what that means, but it's making things slightly less exciting because points gaps can't be overcome on draws alone. I just feel so sorry for Grimsby. Why? I just feel like they're doing everything right, but they just can't seem to to win games. Um, you know, if, if you look at balance of play in certain games that they've had recently, I think they've deserved more than the points they've got. They're unbeaten. Is it now they're unbeaten in eight? Um, they conceded late to Salford in the 88th minute. They conceded to a Bento's long throw against Charlton when they were 1-0 up. They conceded for 1-0 up against Walsall as well. I feel like Paul Hurst is doing the job he was brought in to do. Um, and has yet to reap the rewards. But I still think, you know, I, I, you are right that they aren't picking up, um, they aren't making ground on the teams above them necessarily. Although I, I, I'd be, <clears throat> yeah, fairly confident that South End won't pick up more than one point tonight. I don't think this could look very stupid in three hours when they've gone and beaten Morecambe away. But I, I'd be surprised if they won the game. They're still six points behind Colchester with a game in hand. I still think they might do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Colchester is one of those where they only got two points on the weekend, both draws. I actually feel like that was a win in a sense, in a hypothetical Which one? sense. <laughs> no. but, but, but I would say... I feel like the weekend as a whole was like a win for Cole U in just but not would... losing. And I think in some improved performance under Hayden Mullins as well. I, I would say that for Grimsby, the Colchester-Barrow draw was a win. Oh, yeah, I like that. Because that means that they've got two teams they can still catch rather than one of them pulling away. <laughs> catch Rob Kelly's barrow? I don't think so, mate. They're going for the playoffs. Hey, you, you heard what Paul Riley said. <laughs> I did, for I did. Met performance data going through the floor <laughs> under, under our man Rob. Right, well, League Two is confusing me and upsetting me this weekend. So I'm, I'm tired. I'm not going to do any more. We are... <laughs> We're absolutely shattered. Um, In between us, we've done six pods today, which is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and I got home from Quest at 11.30pm last night. But it's been... A... Lucky to do what we do. Yes, we are. So We're... don't complain. No complaints here. Uh, all that I ask now is to retweet the podcast, because that's always helpful, but also to make sure you've downloaded the Skybet EFO Rewards um, app, because this weekend, for the last time, the Ultimate Bundle is up for grabs. If you are top of the Predictor leaderboard in your chosen division that means there will be three winners you will win some unbelievable prizes i mean even if it was just a thousand pounds in cash 
I would be rushing to download the app and to play. Um, but on top of that, you know I love pizza, George, just as much as I love chocolatey crisps. Um, <laughs> and P- Papa John's bundle up for set, uh, up for grabs, a signed shirt, EFL replica match ball, uh, FM21 and streaming passes as well. So uh, Skybet EFL Rewards app, download it, play the predictor this weekend, be in with a chance of winning the ultimate bundle. And will you tell us if you do as well? There have been six winners already over the weekend and... I'd be upset if there's not a single one of them that listens to this pod. I feel like, you know, we've got something of a monopoly on, you know, good predictors uh, in EFL terms. And so let us know if you've won that because maybe we could come round for a slice of pizza in your garden at some point uh, from the Papa John's Big Match Bundle. Uh, That's it from us, guys. Thanks for listening as always. We we really appreciate your continued support. Um, Hope that you're just about managing to keep your head above water in EFL terms. We are only just managing it. Um, but we'll be back later in the week with a betting show and we look forward to that and go well.